0: The importance of kind of breaking outside of our industry, outside, you know, the architectural realm and getting involved with your community because there's so much out there and there's so many nonprofits doing meaningful work. There's many ways you can plug in and like get involved and offer your ideas and creativity and help these people kind of problem solve.
1: Episode 156.
0: This is the business of architecture.
1: Welcome back, Architect Nation. This is the show where you'll discover tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and impactful architecture practice. If you aren't already on the Business of Architecture email list, you're missing out on the valuable, free practice-building resources I share only via email. Getting on the list is simple. Visit businessofarchitecture.com and click the green Join Today button. I am your host, Enoch Sears. To get more profit or efficiency in your firm, check out this business tip from Peter Drucker. What's measured improves. Now, I found this to be so true. And as a firm owner, you must be tracking your financial key performance indicators. One of the easiest ways to do this is with a software application like Arceoffice. Get a live walkthrough of the software by visiting archiofficecom demo. And a big thank you to ArchieOffice for supporting this show. Today we'll be speaking with Courtney Brinniger. Courtney is a Houston-based architect who was recently selected as a finalist in Charette Venture Group's business plan competition for her proposal to create a non-profit organization. Vinegar Brinniger. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> Just like Vinegar.
1: That's right. <laughs> well, welcome, Courtney, to the business of architecture.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Tell us about this nonprofit that you're proposing to start. We want to know what's the idea behind this and let's dive into that a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's really two components to what I'm proposing. There's the architect as developer component and then the nonprofit component. Originally my interest was creating an architect as developer practice and that's kind of been Something I've daydreamed about for several years, but wasn't until recently that I've kind of come across uh, turn it into a nonprofit to really go after the type of projects that really interest me. Um, so the nonprofit aspect is ultimately the projects that interest me are projects that have social well-being connected to it and so when you create a for-profit practice ultimately, your goal at the end of the day is to create a profit. Of course, you as a biz- business owner, you can direct the direction of your company, and you can instill your own values, but ultimately, the the way you value your company is reporting the amount of profit you've generated. Versus a nonprofit, of course you can make profit, and your goal still should be to be a strong business, but you can... You can lead by your values and put that at the forefront, and not have to um, subject yourself to being as efficient as possible, which which is good to run a business. But when you become so efficient, you a lot of times have to drive out the kind of the softer aspects of uh, issues you address and the social sustainability issues. Is kind of eventually those might get bypass to meet your profit goals. Uh, So I'm interested in community development projects and so I feel as a nonprofit practice it's a way of kind of creatively become a part of your community and to get the funds. Versus a for-profit a lot of times you have to go to the bank and get a loan. A nonprofit you can fundraise, you can partner with for-profits, they can sponsor you, you can apply to grants, foundations. That doesn't happen when you have a for-profit practice.
1: Well and you know, it's it's my it's my bet that a lot of architects listening to the show actually run a nonprofit. Although they're not taxed as a nonprofit.
0: You mean like they just don't make enough money?
1: <laughs> yep, yep. I was talking to a friend Francisca Alonso, she said that she had a real light bulb went off in her head years ago. She sat down with her accountant and her accountant was looking at her uh at her her balance sheet, her income statement, and basically said so it looks like, um, you know, which one are you running here? Are you running a business or a nonprofit? <laughs> and yeah. uh, and 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 she kind of is scratching her head. Well, what are you talking about here? He said, Well, you know, he's all, no, I'm 100% serious. He's all, just looking at your balance sheet here. Uh, you're you're making about as much money as a nonprofit, but yet you're you're being taxed as a for-profit entity, and so you're not getting the best of either world. You're getting the worst of both. Right. But that's not what you're talking about, right? You're talking about the socially conscious nonprofit that has a purpose and a mission.
0: Correct, and that's the driving force, and not trying to get as much work done in you know so many hours and kind of throwing away everything else to the buy, the buy side while you're trying to be as efficient po- as possible to you know meet the books and all that. I I ultimately don't want to go down that path. I want to do meaningful work and. And just naturally, nonprofit doors open for you. People are—it's the quickest elevator speech. The second you say nonprofit, people ears open up, and they're interested, and they have a sense of what you want to do is about well-being and good endeavors.
1: All right. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about this idea that that somehow efficiency is not. is not conducive to these higher, higher principles of, of design, sustainability, and whatever else you want to accomplish.
0: In general, efficiency is good. It, it's a way of being as productive as possible. But when you get to a certain point and you have to keep growing, because regardless, once again, if you're non-profit, for-profit, you need to grow, you need to have a sustainable business that propels itself. But when, you, when it becomes like the obsession and driving point, you everything has to meet numbers and a formula and you lose um, the v- values of things that aren't quantitative by numbers. Like you, when you come obsessed with, we've produced this, you know, so much, you know, square footage of buildings within these many years. Okay. How does that accommodate for um, the amount of people that you've helped have more healthy food available to them and that have learned pride in their community and have um taken on more initiatives of their own because they they've built up their confidence. That's not evaluated in a, a it can't always be quantitative in numbers. So when you become so efficient, you start ignoring those those qualities that can't be put into numbers. And so that's what I, I'd be worried about with the for-profit it, it it kind of doesn't. It doesn't really value those um, those things that make society better.
1: So, sorry, just having a just trying to understand what you're <laughs> what you're saying here. So, it, just in your view of things, what you're saying, Courtney, is that you believe that the efficiency causes people to focus on the profit and leave out okay. some of the other. Uh, social, social, economic factors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you get so large and you know, if you have like profit sharing or, you know, stocks, um, it's all about like return on investment to your investors. And well, what about return on investment to the people you're serving? Those aren't necessarily your investors or um, your direct clients, but. You know, what about the quality of lives of the people who are ultimately affected by the built work you're creating? Um, that can be kind of put to the wayside if, if you're just focused on, you know, meeting the numbers and all that.
1: And do you believe that it's possible to have a for-profit organization that still, um, um, what do you call it, still would hold to certain ideals and mission?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's it's possible, and there are examples out there, you know, but beyond just architecture and consulting practices where they do that's their business is, you know, providing those services. But um, I just, the usually, the way to growth is the easiest, the path of least resistance. And when you have a, a business built upon, like, for, for where profit is the focus, that it can, if you don't make a strong effort to stay committed to those values, that could easily over time evolve to not being the the driving factor anymore. Then it's about profit. Okay, but you have to make special effort.
1: So the primary reason it sounds like you want to do a nonprofit is because uh, you feel that it will it'll be easier to maintain the focus on. The mission of the organization.
0: That's one of the factors, but the other factors is funding. I think there's more creative resources for funding as a nonprofit than a for-profit. Um, so that's just one of the components I see as a benefit to nonprofit.
1: All right. So what, what's your what's your personal view on money, Courtney, uh, in terms of? Um, in terms of money itself, uh, is it is it good to earn a lot of money?
0: Yes. No, because <laughs> I see money as a, a way of communicating value for what you're producing. So, yes, it, in theory, if you make a lot of money, it means you're producing things that are creating value for other people. You're giving something that creates value. But I, I see it's it's bad when you're doing things just for the purpose to make more money when when really your focus is just more money that's when it becomes an issue but no, ultimately yeah like i believe it's important to have a a healthy paycheck and income because then you're not the starving architect and you can't focus on just doing good work or having a healthy you know live live work balance so it's important to have a access to, you know, a good income and money, but not to the point where every decision you make is so you can make more money and it's your obsession, then that can get, that can be a, a negative thing.
1: And do you see that in businesses that you've had experiences with? That, that Do you see that around you a lot, that idea that uh, money is the end goal and, and uh, the primary focus
0: so within i don't think it's very prevalent in architecture because we we've all kind of make this made this choice to be part of the profession because we're we want to do built work and design it's not a it's not known for being a money making career choice but i would say in the the bigger firms the big you know international Corporations, yeah, they kind of they have these you know reports and stockholders they have to report to, so that does that does come to the forefront more. But nothing compared to you know industry, other industries, and you know finance or something like that, like architecture, where you kind of already know that we're not a big money making entity.
1: So going back to what you said before, uh, you know, where you think that, or you see the, how profit could theoretically be uh, a measure of the value you provide to other people, does it then go to mm-hmm. state that uh, the architects are not providing value to the world because we're not making very much money?
0: No, I think we provide a lot of value to the world. I think what we're not communicating it to our clients and to the people who inhabit our buildings is what this, they kind of either drive by or they walk through a, a building, they don't realize the effect it has on them because I feel very much that context shapes our behavior and our decisions and they're not realizing, oh, when I walk into this building that's, you know, well-designed with great natural lighting and high ceilings, I i am not as stressed and I'm more, like, happy to be here and want to make healthy decisions, That that isn't really talked about or brought to the forefront. So the value right there is diminished because no one's placed a value on it. No one's communicated to it communicated. It and ultimately in many ways architects are just paid for their drawings and that's it. And I think sometimes the success of whoever inhabits the building, it could be in many ways it's paid homage to the person who designed it, but the person who designed it doesn't really get the repercussions of the great value they brought to their building that, you know, say an office building that has natural lighting and, you know, good ventilation. And their their work, their workers aren't sick as much and they are more productive because of the great environment they're in. And yet the architect doesn't get any, um, maybe they'll get a thank you, nope. <laughs> I mean, there's no, they don't earn any money from what they, the value, Place they've created it. It's over once the drawings are paid for. It's over, yep. and they don't get collect anything after that.
1: Well, in, in in your worldview, Courtney, is that do you feel that that's ideal? That's really what you're kind of happy with that scenario as it exists right now in architecture. Do you think that architects could do better if they were compensated better?
0: I think they could do de- do better if they're compensated better, and that's why. I want to create the I wanna have the architect as developer component within my proposal because I feel that's a way to gain value from your project after it's been built because you're earning either you sell it and you earn the profit from selling it or you rent it and you every month are literally getting money for the quality building you just built. So I think there's other avenues to explore of how to continue earn value after you've designed and built a building that's doing good things for its inhabitants in a community, I think there's opportunities there.
1: and that is a great segue. Tell us about your proposal. You mentioned architect as developer. Well, what is the proposal? Mm-hmm. Let us know.
0: Right. So it's uh, I want to kind of have two programs. One of going into so ultimately like. What I'm addressing, my mission is to address food deserts, specifically starting specifically here in Houston. About half our city is a food desert, which a food desert is quantified as a one-mile radius area with no grocery store, no way to get fresh food. And so I want to start by going into neighborhoods and either buy one residential lot or two residential residential lots together and build a community garden. And then within that same one mile radius area, build a couple more, either partnering with, there's a lot of nonprofits out there that currently build community gardens and they're the experts. So either teaming up with them or uh, kind of learning the ropes on my own. And then within that one mile radius where there's no place to get healthy food, build a informal market where people who have access from their community garden where they can sell their food or if if they like knitting, they could sell, you know, something they'd create on their own with their own craft skills. And so in a way kind of within this small localized area, boosting its economy to the point that a a full force uh, supermarket could come in. So for us, you know, we have H-E-B, we have Kroger, Randall's. So in, Working with them, potentially them as a sponsor, working with them on a particular area, vamping it up to be more economically viable to the point that these supermarkets could come in and then provide full-service food sources. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So tell me how this would roll out over time. It's, it sounds very ambitious, and give us mm-hmm. a sort of a play-by-play of how you see. This. You've obviously thought through this. Tell us how you see this uh, this movement, this organization, getting off the ground. What would be the first steps to make this happen?
0: Uh, talking with the the groups, the organizations that are currently uh, orchestrating community gardens and farmers' markets, getting a grasp on what the current like networks and infrastructure that are there. Um, learned, I actually took a one-hour one hour class today on how to build your own or how to start up a community garden, the things you have to keep in mind, consideration. There's different types of gardens and there's a lot to think about. But I think the, the way to really make movement is partnering with fellow nonprofits that are already doing the same thing and joining together to go about these projects and the first step would be after getting to know all the players in that network is going after grants and applying to grants to uh, get the funds to purchase a property and then approaching one of the major grocery chain stores and just propose this idea and see if they'd be interested in sponsoring or partnering if there's an area they've kind of been looking at but they there just needs to be a little more Economic activity before they can enter that market. See if there's anything that's being looked at by others and join in there. And uh, once again, first starting out with a community garden as a first project since it's smaller in scale. And then either keep working with other nonprofits to build other community gardens or move to doing an informal market which by informal market i mean more kind of like a like a pavilion maybe some interior spaces but very kind of a low key building but that has like an open space that you can interchange you know tenants and all that it can be like a flux space people can come in and sell their produce cuz once again we have a, we have farmer market farmers markets here in Houston but they're like a pop up Collection of people in a parking lot, you know, on Saturday or Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's not consistently available every day of the week, and uh, it doesn't really have a sense of plates. It's just a bunch of you know tents popped up once again in a parking lot, and you know a lot of you know working families they need more than just two days a week to be able to access foods. So they could be working those weekends and. And usually farmer's markets pop up in more your middle, you know, middle upper class areas where people that can have the time, and the leisure to go, oh, well, let's go to the farmer's market. <laughs> um, they don't really pop up as a necessity as much. Or they're not as well um, promoted. The ones that are really there for necessity to um, people to buy their, their goods that they need to get by the week.
1: And so how, they don't have how, to go. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, how does the yep? So they don't have to. So how does the architect as developer model fit into it?
0: Fit into what?
1: Your business plan.
0: So the fact that I don't have to wait for a client to come to the to come to me with these projects, I have in mind what I want to do. The biggest hurdle is getting the funding, since. You know, I'm I'm not a owner with deep pockets. So that's the hurdle. But architect as developer, I can since I have this mission to address food deserts and with the values of wanting to promote commerce but also tie into create creative solutions and well being that I can Go after with the go after projects with those values with my mission and not have to wait for a, either wait for a client or bend my values just to fit a teeny tiny budget given to me by someone else that I can drive my own project and if I need more money, I find a funding source and not have to accept a low fee to do it. A meaningful project.
1: Okay, so just to rephrase, let's see if I, if I, you know, can sum up for our our audience here, (laughs) for our listener. So you said that first, potentially start out with a small community garden that either you pull off single-handedly or or partner with an existing organization. Yes. Uh, Grow those. uh, You know, those would increase, and then uh, sounds like you have the idea of this hub of a, Mm -hmm. a market that would be open all the time as opposed to the normal uh, farmers yeah. style markets. Yes. Okay. Any anything else in terms of the plan um the deliverables it sounds like I'm I'm seeing I'm envisioning community gardens and uh a market where people can purchase this fresh produce. Mm-hmm. Is there any any other pieces to the puzzle?
0: Well, I'm very much like the, a concept of adaptive reuse but that all depends on the the community and if they have kind of abandoned buildings but i feel that's the ultimate kind of message to a community is to take you know an abandoned warehouse that's been saying on this a lot that people just been passing by and overlooking and to turn it into a hub of where to get one of life's necessities fresh food it's such a strong message to the community I think it would do more than just you're providing a place for people to buy food you're creating a symbol for them that people trust in them that there is kind of like a promise to of more growth and um, kind of hope that they can keep growing, and kind of, you know, rise above their current situations. I think it'd be so symbolic to do adaptive reuse of a, a building that was a blighted building that people just disregarded. I think that would be a very strong sim- symbolic gesture.
1: So what is the next step for you, Courtney, in this process?
0: For the, the business plan process or for the... Just in, in the um, terms of pulling uh, sh-
1: this thing, making this thing real.
0: Um, it's, it's happening like baby steps at a time. So once again, today I attended a one hour class hosted by Urban Harvest, which is a kind of overarching nonprofit of, um, kind of go-to resource within Houston for people wanting to start community gardens. And I got some contacts there, of a person that kind of is in connection with all the, the farmer's markets in Houston, because I want to talk to that person and see, you know, is there an overarching plan? I mean... Farmers markets kind of just pop up. Has anyone taken into consideration of food deserts? Um, One interesting thing about Houston is we don't have any zoning, so that could kind of be a way of explaining our situation. Things kind of just happen at random. And, you know, what's the bigger picture here? Can we start talking about this and maybe pull some people together? And um, see if anyone's interested in create a plan on how to to address these food deserts because it's – it's pretty scary, We our um, food insecurity rate here in Houston is 17.8% of our population. Um, so that, that's a, that's about 600,000, I think it's like 600,000 people. Um, that's a lot. So I think there's a lot to be done and there's people out there doing good things. I just don't know if there's a unification. So getting people together and start starting the conversation and then uh, for me, I haven't, I haven't actually created the nonprofit. So for me, it would be the, the filing process too a very tangible thing that I would need to work on is filing at the state level and then with the IRS, which I know the steps. it's just <laughs> I'm, right now I'm focusing on building the plan. I, I don't want to distract myself, but that will be the next tangible step is building the plan and talking it uh, getting the conversation going with people that are already out there doing stuff.
1: Well, that sounds absolutely fascinating. Courtney, is there anything else you wanted to touch on in this interview that you think we should know about, about what you're doing?
0: Um, I th- I think it's it's really exciting, this process, process of kind of getting out of my comfort zone and talking to people. and. It's interesting, the second I talk to anyone outside of architecture, they kind of give me a puzzled look when I tell them I'm an architect and I want to do work related to food deserts, like people don't understand, they don't get it. And so I feel excited this could be a way of, um, once again, bringing to the table the conversation of the power of design and thoughtful planning and how you can have impact on bigger issues. So I'm excited about that and... um, I guess the lessons learned here is um, the importance of kind of breaking outside of our industry, outside, you know, the architectural realm and getting involved with your community because there's so much out there and there's so many nonprofits doing meaningful work. There's many ways you can plug in and like get involved and offer your ideas and creativity and help these people kind of problem solve. So it, there's so much out there and uh, this kind of planning all this and um, really pushing through to discover all these outlets. So increasingly getting to know my city better and getting to know um, great work out there that's being done. So that's exciting.
1: Now, if people want to reach out to you, Courtney, follow what you're doing, uh, where, where, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
0: I have an Instagram account <laughs> I've created. So once again, since I haven't officially created the the nonprofit. I, I don't officially have rights to the name, so I don't want to create a website yet, but I have a Instagram account. It's like a underscore and then ADD venture. Adventure is the the name. So I'm kind of as I go out and do some kind of almost way in a way kind of scrapbooking my process of leading up to the big awesome projects i hope to do.
1: <laughs> yep, yep, great. So just to rephrase that again, it's it's Instagram, it's it's underscore ADD venture. Yes. Great. Correct. All right. Well, thank you thank you Courtney for being on the show today. It's a very interesting, very noble cause you're pursuing. Good luck with the business plan competition.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much.
1: And that's a wrap for another show about the business of architecture. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. There are two reasons to do this. First of all, it encourages me to continue making free content like this for you to run an awesome practice. And secondly, it helps others to find this content inside of iTunes so that they can benefit as well. Remember to get free resources for running an architecture business that is both fun, flexible, and profitable. Visit businessofarchitecture.com and click the Join Today button to unlock your free account to Business of Architecture Insider. As a member, you'll have access to free tools and resources to help you get more clients, boost profitability, start a firm, and much more. This has been the Business of Architecture. Everybody knows that you just gotta do it. views expressed on this show by my guests do not represent those of the host and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world. Bump music credit to Ben Folds 5, Do It Anyway.